This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. A guest speaker is featured on this message. More information is on our website. Today, Bob Coughlin is with us. Bob uh, does a number of things. Uh, He's an author. A lot of us have read his book, Worship Matters. And uh, it's a very helpful book. He has a blog by the same name, worshipmatters.com, where you can read his, uh, his regular writings. Bob uh, serves in our, in our group of churches in, in this way. His title is the uh, Director of Worship Development, which means that he helps um, folks in our churches uh, with the, uh, to grow and learn and be equipped and trained in uh, leading in musical worship in corporate worship, that sort of uh, that sort of a thing. He speaks at conferences. He trains worship leaders. And one of the exciting things is he was speaking at a conference down at uh, Baylor uh, this week and traveled from Heath's in Gaithersburg, Maryland, where he's part of Covenant Life Church and where Sovereign Grace Ministries is as well. So he came to Waco for this conference and uh, was willing to stick around afterwards, uh, to, as was Pat, to, uh, he was willing to stick around afterwards to come and speak to us. And so Bob's a wonderfully gifted worship leader, uh, a, um, a, a pastor, a teacher, very gifted man. But here's what I want to recognize in your life, Bob, that I've appreciated so much about you. Uh, Bob and I have known each other. We met in like 1990. So for 20 years, uh, we've known each other. I was in kindergarten, and he was my teacher. No, uh, but we met 20 years ago. And... Um, but this is what I've appreciated about you, Bob, in all my interactions, even really going way back then, but uh, that you were a very real person. Uh, Bob's a noted leader, a well-known guy, and that sort of deal. We were just at a conference, people lining up to speak to him and ask him questions. Um, but you are real. You don't, you don't act like some guy like that, but you're just very, very real. And I personally sought Bob, sought him out for some counsel uh, in my life over the past couple years, and he's been instrumental in helping me as I walk through some uh, not church-related, but personal uh, issues in my own life, uh, where he, you've been very helpful to me. And the, here's how those times would go when we'd have a conversation or an email exchange. He would either start with maybe helping me, uh, remind me of a scripture or something like that, or if not scripture, this is where he would start with opening up his own life and identifying and say, well, here's a failure in my life. Here's what I learned through my own sinfulness, my own weakness, my own inability, my own suffering, whatever the category was. This is what I've learned and what I've experienced. And whenever you're with someone like that who doesn't relate to you, like, really? You have that problem? But relates to you instead of, I know, I know I'm made of the same stuff and I have problems in my own life, and here they are. Um, that is a humility. Now, he doesn't stay there. He's growing. Obviously, he's a growing. I appreciate your, your uh, attendance to the Scripture and desire to grow in godliness, and I appreciate that about your life. So he's not staying stuck there, but but just a sense of reality about your life. I think the biblical word for that would be humility, not reality. Acknowledging reality is walking in humility. And uh, God gives grace to the humble and opens o- doors for ministry. And that's one reason we want you to preach. We want to invite people who, uh, to preach God's word who are real and are experiencing God in their own lives. And you're going to hear that in the message this morning. So, Bob, thanks for coming. Thanks for staying away from your family another couple of days to be here. And uh, could we welcome Bob as he comes to preach God's word? It's a real joy to be here. Uh, in five years, that's just really amazing. That's, that's so kind of the Lord. I would have been here a lot earlier if Craig had ever invited me, but I guess he didn't. 
guess we aren't that good friends. I, I thought we were. Anyway, Craig, <laughs> Craig is a dear friend, and uh, when I do the Worship God conference, he's one of the first guys I think of that I want to have there. Um, and I know you, you love him much. Just, just to give you a brief update on uh, stuff from Sovereign Grace Ministries, I bring you a greeting from Sovereign Grace Ministries back in Gaithersburg, Maryland. Um, one of the things I do is oversee the albums we do, and we just released a kid's album in June, Walking with the Wise, and uh, our first Spanish album, indigenous Spanish album called Allí en la Cruz, which I'm very excited about. And then in March, we have one coming out, Lord willing, on uh, Songs for the Resurrection, a group of songs that are just celebrating the fact that Jesus not only died for our sins, but has risen from the dead. Um, so that's some of the stuff I've been doing, and it's just a privilege to be with you this morning. The message is called The Fight for Joy. The Fight for Joy. And I want to start with some lines from a well-known hymn. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. You might recognize those words. They're from a hymn called God Moves in a Mysterious Way, written by William Cooper. And they have encouraged millions in their own struggles with anxiety and fear and unbelief and depression. But ironically, William Cooper suffered significantly with depression most of his life. From the age of 21, he was hospitalized four times and tried to commit suicide multiple times. He wrote those words that since then have encouraged millions of Christians. Doesn't that remind us of the the paradox of our emotions? We can know the truth. We can even be used to help others know the truth, but fail to find relief from our own emotional turmoil. And I should know because that's something that I experienced in the mid-90s, from 1994 to 97. I spent that time battling constant fear, anxiety, confusion, and depression, all fueled by this overwhelming sense that my life was hopeless. And it's a time of life that I will never, ever forget. You're hearing about it now, 16 years later. Began one night in January of 1994. I was at a friend's house for dinner, and suddenly my life made no sense. I felt disconnected from the past and the present and the future. And that began a series of panic attacks, physical symptoms, tightness in my chest, itching on my arms, buzzing in my face, a detachment, a sense of detachment from all of life, an inability to sleep while wanting to sleep all the time. For three months, I had daily thoughts of dying soon. And I had this profound sense that God was no longer with me, that he had just up and left. And during that entire time, I was serving as a pastor and worship leader at a church in Charlotte, North Carolina, regularly helping others to experience the joy and grace I seemed unable to enjoy myself. Now, maybe you can't relate to what I'm describing. Maybe, you know, you have some emotional ups and downs, but generally you'd say your life's 
pretty good. You know, I'm, I'm kind of a, uh, yeah, I'm having a pretty good life. But maybe you can relate to what I just described. Maybe you've had a period of your life where you fought those things. Maybe you're going through it right now. Maybe you're a guest this morning and you're going through it right now. Wouldn't that be coincidental? Maybe, maybe you've experienced a lack of joy or motivation, that, that sense of disconnected, that sinking dark feeling that God is nowhere around. And maybe it's what, what some people experience as momentary or temporary has become a life-dominating numbness that won't go away. Things like you just feel tired all the time. You, you, you don't feel like eating or you can't sleep or you can't control your thoughts or you constantly feel worthless or condemned and you have to battle that. You can't think straight. Nothing changes. I don't know where you are this morning, but God does. And sooner or later, all of us, every one of us has to fight for joy. I've never met anyone who has not had at some point to fight for joy, whether it's temporary or an ongoing condition. And how godly you are doesn't seem to matter. Historical heroes of the faith like Charles Spurgeon, Jonathan Edwards, and somebody else, Martin Luther, all had to fight for joy throughout their lives. And they wrote about it. And we benefit from those writings. It should also encourage us that scriptures don't present anyone as living a problem-free life. In, in the Bible, we see people fleshing out emotional struggles, relational struggles, internal struggles. And we see how they dealt with them, particularly in the Psalms, which is where, we are go- where we're going this morning. So I'd like you to turn to Psalm 42. That's where we're going to be. 42 and 43, actually, is what we'll be reading this morning, studying. David Powlison has written, the Psalms have always been favorites of God's people because they expressed honest human experience and emotion in the context of faith. In the Psalms, you meet God where you are. Don't you want God to meet you where you are? Don't you want to, find, don't you want to know that you don't have to go to some other city or some other location or some other circumstance for God to meet you? He wants to meet you right where you are. And where he does that most frequently is in his word. So that's where we're going. Psalm 42 and 43 were probably one psalm originally. Because there's one heading. There are numerous verses that are in both psalms. And there's a refrain that occurs twice in Psalm 42 and once in Psalm 43. And this is the refrain. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. And as we study these two psalms this morning, what we're going to learn, I think bottom line, what we're going to learn is this. In our fight for joy, God Himself is our only hope. In our fight for joy... If you want to sum up this morning, it's going to be this. In our fight for joy, God himself is our only hope. So be prepared for God to meet you where you are as we read these two psalms together. Psalm 42. To the choir master, a mascal of the sons of Korah. As a deer pants for flowing streams. 
so pants my soul for You, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down on my soul and why are you in turmoil Within me, hope in God. For I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me by day. The Lord commands His steadfast love. And at night, His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why, why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God. To God, my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise Him. My salvation and my God. Alright, we need help. I need help. You need help. So we're going to pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. It is life. It is eternal. It is firm in the heavens. It never can change. Nothing can be added to it or taken away from it without damaging it. It is Your Word. And we thank You that we get to spend these few precious minutes of this week meditating on these words from Psalm 42 and 43. May You become bigger in our eyes. I pray for everyone here who right now is in the midst of emotional turmoil, battling in the fight for joy. I pray that you would speak to them and meet them where they are. I pray for those of us who aren't in that condition right now, but will be before we know it. I pray that you encourage each of us. Help me to speak clearly and truly and help us to listen carefully and faithfully. And I ask this for the glory of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.
We're going to talk about real life. That's where we all live. Sunday mornings are not an escape from real life. They're an opportunity to find out how to live real life. So we're going to talk about that this morning. The fight for joy. It's in three stages, which are defined by the three refrains that I referred to earlier. This is the first, in the fight for joy. The first stage, remembering joy. Just remembering joy. The psalm opens up. We're immediately confronted with a lack expressed in a longing. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. This is Texas. You know what dry is. You know what it is to be thirsty. To want a drink. And there's nothing in sight. And it's going to be a while before you get a drink. You know that parched feeling? That's what the psalmist is describing in a spiritual, it's a spiritual reality that he's expressing in physical terms. I, 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 my soul thirsts. When shall I come and appear before God? He's, he's longing for God's presence just like he would long for water because currently he's not experiencing. He's just remembering it. He's experienced God, but he's not experiencing God now. He's been with God's people, but he's not with God's people now. In verse 3, it becomes very clear, graphic. My tears have been my food day and night. And I don't know if you've ever known someone or been someone yourself who when when you're going through emotional turmoil, you just lose your appetite. You know, would you like something to eat? No, I'm just not hungry. I just don't feel like eating. And what we can end up doing is actually feeding on our grief. After someone's lost a loved one, you just just don't have an appetite. Your tears become your food. He's remembering joy. And the pain is only increased when when the people around him say, "Okay, where's your God? Look at you. Talk about how God meets all your needs. God will supply all my needs. There's glorious riches in Christ Jesus. I will be with you today, forever, always. Where's your God now? And it hurts. It pains. You, you, you've talked about the faithfulness of God and it looks like He's not being faithful. And other people are bringing that to light. So in verse 4, He remembers what He has been missing. I pour out my soul. I would go with a throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Maybe he's remembering one of the three feasts each year where all the Israelites would gather together at the temple to, to celebrate God's goodness, God's mercy. And it would be a time of joy and feasting and gathering together, celebrating God's love and goodness. And he's pouring out his soul because he's not experiencing it anymore. It's so distant. And he's remembering that worship is missing. He's remembering that joy is missing. He's remembering that God is missing. Now, maybe something's missing for you. Maybe you're aware of something that was in your life or you want in your life that isn't there. Maybe a relationship. Maybe a spouse. Maybe a job. Maybe a, a spiritually fruitful season where you were zealous and just you, you're so close to God and now it just seems so far away. Maybe it's a future with a child that, that doesn't exist now. 
You remember joy, and it's, it's no longer here. God seems very far away. And it doesn't seem like He's very concerned about it. And you can't stop thinking about it. So that's where the psalmist is in these first four verses. So in verse 5, he stops remembering and he addresses his soul. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? That's a very good question to ask. Why? Why am I feeling like this? In his very helpful book, Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cure, Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the great preachers of the 20th century, asks, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? That's where most of our unhappiness comes from. We listen to ourselves rather than talk to ourselves. He goes on to say this. This is his counsel. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself. Preach to yourself. Question yourself. You must say to your soul, Why art thou cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself, and say to yourself, Hope thou in God, instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is and what God is and what God has done and what God has pledged himself to do. And as we'll see, that's exactly what the psalmist is doing and continues to do. So we move from remembering joy to the second stage, and that is pursuing joy. And we'll be in verses 6 through 11. Now, this pursuit of joy is not calm. It's not peaceful. It's tumultuous. We have another water reference here in verse 7. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. You know, when we opened the psalm up, it was the peaceful stream, the deer penning for the little gentle flowing brook. Now it's a waterfall. And this isn't like a beautiful waterfall you're you're watching. It's you're in it. You're in the white water rapids. And he is not feeling very secure at all. And some sometimes life is like that. You know, it's just real life. One one bad thing happens, another bad thing, another it just and, and you just say, when's this going to end? I had something happen recently. It wasn't life changing, but it was like that. I, I took a trip to Phoenix, and which is a three-hour time zone difference. And um, script trip started with uh, my rental car being reserved in another city, in Dallas, actually. And uh, I was going into Phoenix, so that one didn't work. So I canceled that and got another one. So I thought, okay, we're done. I'm, I'm Sunday, I'm going to leave, I'm going to come home, and I'm with an old friend, a, my high school choir teacher, just visiting on Sunday afternoon, and um, I'm looking at my calendar to find out when I leave, and my flight leaves at 8 o'clock, 8 p.m., so I thought, this is great, I can leave her house about 6 and get over there and be fine, and uh, it's 5.30, and I start doing a little math in my head, I'm leaving at 8 o'clock, the plane gets in at 12.15 a.m., so okay, it's a three-hour time zone difference, it's 8 o'clock, that's like leaving at 11 o'clock. That means the plane flight from Phoenix to Washington, D.C. is an hour and 15 minutes. Well, it took me four hours to get out here. So unless, like, there's a really strong tailwind, I don't think I'm going to make it back in an hour and 15 minutes. So I'm trying to think, how could my calendar say 
it's, I leave at 8 o'clock. And I just installed a, a, a new app on my iPhone, which uh, puts the, automatically puts the time of your flights in your calendar. What I did know is that uh, it put it in an East Coast time, which they've since fixed since my trip. So um, there, uh, it's 5.30, and my flight has already left. I can't catch my flight. It's already left. So I'm saying to my high school teacher, uh, you know, I'm so sorry. I have to go. I mean, my flight already left. She's looking at me kind of, what? Yeah, it's, it's a long story. And so as I'm leaving, this is my choir teacher. I haven't seen her in 30 years. She remembers my high school days, my, my scatterbrain time during that time. And she looks at me. She says, Bob, this is so much you. <laughs> I was really hurt by that comment, but I tried to just push it out of my mind. So I, I get to the airport and I... I call Southwest. Do they have another flight going out that night? No. I really want to get home. I've been gone for four days. I want to see my wife, my children. So um, I check around, and sure enough, Delta has a flight going out at 11.50. <laughs> oh, boy. And it doesn't get in at 12.15. It gets in at 9.10 the next morning. Well, red eyes are my favorite kinds of flights to take. Just kidding. Just kidding. So uh, I do reserve the flight. I have to go to another terminal and, of course, put out the money for that, and then come back. And wait the four hours in the airport. Okay, things are going okay. I got an extra exit row seat, which I was really happy about. So it's going to be a three-hour flight to Atlanta. Then I fly into Baltimore and I drive home. So I figure on the three-hour flight, I'll get a little shut-eye. It'll be great. And um, I get on the plane. And I guess some planes aren't as well insulated as others because it was freezing in this seat next to the exit door. Because it's almost like I could feel the wind from outside. I mean, that can't be. But, I mean, I asked for one of the blankets and... Of course, they're so thin. I never used one before. And they're just like, I mean, they're like this. They're, they're just very thin. So I put that on me. It doesn't help. So I just don't get any sleep, barely, an hour, I think. So I think, okay, I have a, an hour and a half flight from Atlanta to Baltimore. I can, get, I can sleep. That's good. Because I want to come back, refresh, you know, at least a little bit. So I get on the plane, and the guy sits down next to me and says, hey, that iPad. How do you like that iPad? And he doesn't stop talking for an hour and a half. We talk the entire time. And, I mean, I enjoy talking to people, but at that point, I was, so at one point, I even got up, went to the bathroom, thinking he, he'll forget I was there, and I'll come back. Nope, as soon as I'm back, he talks again. So, so no sleep, I get home, and then when I get home, I realize that I've left my prescription sunglasses in the rental car. So that was my trip, and it, like all in 10 hours or something, I think, how many more bad things can happen? Is there another bad thing that can happen? Yes, there is! Um, fortunately, that was the end for that trip. So we have days like that. Some of us have seasons like that. Some of us have lives like that. We just think one bad thing after another after another. So that's real life, and that's what the Psalms are talking about. So it's tumultuous while he's pursuing joy, pursuing joy. and he's also. And this is this is very helpful. He's asking questions as he's pursuing joy. Verses nine and ten. He says, "I say to God, my rock." Why have you forgotten me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? What is going on? Now, I think this is something that a lot of us are afraid to do when we're going through emotional turmoil. We think this is something that good Christians don't do. Now, he's asked himself questions first, right? The, the whole thing about why are you cast down all my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Now he's asking God questions. He's feeling abandoned. He's feeling uncared for. He's feeling alone. Does God even know what? I, does, does he even know what I'm going through? You know, why have you forgotten me? Have you ever said that to God? I, I don't think I've ever said that to God. <laughs> why have you forgotten me? But he's being real. 
He's being honest. Now, it's possible to ask God questions out of bitterness and unbelief and anger. We're disappointed with God. He hasn't done what he's supposed to do. And we're angry at him because life isn't going the way we think it should. Now, that's not what's happening here. He's asking God questions because his current circumstances are not lining up with who he knows God to be. So look how he starts the question in verse nine. I say to God, my what? Rock. I say not not I say to God, my quicksand. Or I I say to God, my unstable place. I say to God, my rock. Why have you forgotten me? What what's going on there? I know that you're faithful. I know that you're steadfast. I know that you're loving. I know that you're good. So he's asking questions to to get a better picture of God. As well as a better picture of his own heart. He wants to understand what's going on in his heart. Questions. Help us come face to face with what it is we think we can't live without and what it is we value the most. The psalmist had enemies who had forced him to flee Jerusalem. But the real issue was his own unbelief and his desire for a problem free life. He wished he was back in Jerusalem with the multitudes, with the feasts, with the shouts and the glad songs. But he's not. And he wants to be there. So he's saying, what? Why isn't this? And, and he's coming to grips with what's in his heart as he's asking those questions. And that's what happens to us. We find out the idols that have usurped God's place in our lives. Humbly asking God questions leads to asking questions about our own hearts. At least it should. If we're doing it humbly. Now, as he's pursuing joy, he's also expressing trust in God. Back to verse 8. By day, the Lord commands a steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock. He's aware God's involved. He's expressing trust in God. He's understanding that everything he's going through is under God's watchful eye. He says, these are your breakers, your waves. These things that are messing up my life. Guess what? They're from God. Oh no, it's the enemy. It's the enemy. I know it's Satan's out to give me. Well, he might be. But guess who rules Satan? Guess who oversees Satan? And if he allows Satan to do anything, it's for his purposes. Because he is a sovereign God. The psalmist knows that no matter how far away God feels, he's involved. Day by day. The Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me. So he sings and he prays in the midst of feeling this distance from God. Now, some of us, well, probably all of us at different times have come into a meeting like this and thought, you know, I just don't feel like singing. Or maybe we go home it's during the middle of the week and we wake up. I just don't feel like saying I don't feel like praying. Did you know that you don't have to feel like singing or praying to actually do them? That's something we're learning back east. Just want to bring that knowledge to the West, Midwest. Uh, Sometimes when we are doubting, when we are struggling, when we're depressed, 
the very singing of a song can remind us of the trust that God is worthy of. So, there are a number of times in the morning, I've started out my morning with just singing this song. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. See, this has nothing to do with how I feel. It's just truth. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. It's good news. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God, the just, is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Oh, and I just get, I just get charged up as I'm telling you. Well, that's what can happen when we sing and we pray in the midst of our depression or our confusion. So at that point, he comes back to this refrain again. Verse 11. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? And you get the sense that the words are just a little more challenging this time. You know, he's, he's coming back around to himself. He's asked God questions. Now he's asking himself questions again. And it's the exact same words. And that's often what progress in our fight for joy looks like. Repeating the exact same words to ourselves over and over and over again. Now, now let, let me just caution you here. If you're trying to help someone who is in emotional turmoil, they're depressed, they're anxious, they're fearful, just, just don't come on like a ton of bricks to them. Yeah, just say it again. Just say it again. Say it again. That's not going to work and it's not going to be helpful. And don't blame me for that. I'm I'm talking about the way we deal with this ourselves. I mean, the, the reality is a lot of times we need other people to remind us of the truth. William Cooper, the hymn writer, he had a friend. That friend's name was John Newton. John Newton was his pastor for 13 years. And then when he moved to another church, continued to pastor him for 20 more years. John, when he saw that Cooper, from the age of 21, was battling this depression, would ask him to go on long walks with them. Where you can be sure John was just reminding him of the truth. At one point, he asked him to write a hymnal with him. And out of that hymnal came the tune Amazing Grace, or the song Amazing Grace, and also the, the hymn we read earlier, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. Now, I had someone to help me keep reminding myself of the truth, and that was a man named Gary Ricucci. He's a pastor, a dear friend. I now work with him. He's in a small group. At that point, he wasn't. We weren't in the same church. But I said to him one time, Gary, I just feel hopeless all the time. I just feel hopeless all the time. And we were at breakfast with our wives, and Gary looked at me lovingly, kindly, gently, and said, I don't think you're hopeless enough. And at that point, I really lost all hope because uh, I thought I was hopeless enough at the moment. And he's now telling me I'm not hopeless enough. So uh, I'm trying to figure this out in my head. And, and Gary just says, if you were hopeless, you'd stop trying to trust in what you can do 
and how you're going to figure this all out. And you trust completely in what Jesus Christ did for you, which is all done. It's all finished. And I remember hearing those words and it, it, it had the ring of truth, but I, I couldn't quite grasp it. So what I did was repeat that to myself over and over and over again. Every time I'd start to feel hopeless, I'd start to feel this kind of, you know, this disconnect and it's just a horrible feeling. I would say to myself, you are hopeless. But Jesus Christ died for hopeless people. And I just say that I am hopeless, but Jesus Christ died for hopeless people. I am discouraged, but Jesus Christ died for discouraged people. I am confused, but Jesus Christ died for confused people. I'm unbelieving. Well, Jesus Christ died for unbelieving people. He's a great Savior. And I just kept telling myself that over and over and over again. And when we repeat the truth to ourselves, we eventually find that our faith grows, that our confidence grows, that our trust grows, which leads us to the third and final stage in our fight for joy, and that is expecting joy. So we've been remembering joy. We're pursuing joy. But now, now we're expecting joy. It's not there yet. We're not coming to the meeting. Hey, it's good to see you. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just happy. I just, just kind of bubble it up inside. We're not there yet. We may never be there, but we're going to get there. We think it's coming. We, we, we think it can come. See, a lot of times we read the Psalms and we connect with the, the bad parts where people are struggling, but we don't see how they really get through. Okay, if you've been here this morning and thinking, yeah, I, I'm here. I, he's got my number. I'm in emotional turmoil. That's me. Depressed, that's me. Well, well, don't stop listening because there is an answer. There is a hope. And that's what we're going to see now. That's what we're going to look at now. He is going to make three crucial choices that lead him to expect joy. And the first is a choice to persevere. Even after he's addressed his soul the second time with the same words, He's moving on. He's pressing on. He's saying, vindicate me, O God. Defend my cause against an ungodly people. You are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? So in the midst of opposition and people challenging him, and, and we should remember that that challenge can come from people outside or it can come from inside. We're very good at, at challenging ourselves, at being our own adversary. And in the midst of all that, he continues to persevere in faith. Now, a lot of times when we're, we're going through emotional turmoil, we want this silver bullet, you know, that will kill the vampire or the warlock, and he's dead. And it's all over. Yes! And that's what I was looking for. I wanted it to be over yesterday. And I couldn't understand why God wasn't doing it yesterday. Okay, maybe now. Lord, I'll take now. That would be good now. And as though God didn't understand the word. Now, I know now. I get now. I know what that is. I thought he didn't. Maybe you're in a situation like that. I'm facing situations like that right now. A family situation. That, that's a, it's the hardest thing apart from this <laughs> that I've ever been through in my life. Maybe you're in a situation like that. Maybe you're in a marriage. You're thinking this is going to last. And I don't know where else to go. Maybe, maybe you're facing opposition at school or work from people for your faith. 
Maybe, maybe you've had strained family relationships for years and you just don't see how it's going to change. Or, or maybe, maybe you're, you're dealing with some physical issue, medical issue, and the picture's not getting brighter. And your soul's going down deeper. And it's not a good place. What do you do? There are no quick and easy solutions in the fight for joy, even if you're a Christian. The refrain keeps coming back. The battle continues. And this is how God grows our faith. And this is how we come to learn that in our fight for joy, God himself is our only hope. When we're experiencing trials or lack of joy, we can tend to think that the call to endure doesn't apply to us. We can think of a lot of other people it applies to. You know, we counsel them. Yeah, just keep, keep, keep going on. Just yeah, keep praying. Keep trusting God. But for us, it's like, no, I want to change now. God, I have faith. I've shown you my faith. You know my faith. I have it. I don't need this test. And God's saying, no, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm God. You're not. Let's get that straight. You do need this test. And I'm calling you to persevere in it. We can think that Hebrews 10, 35 and 36 doesn't apply to us. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance. We need it so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. But here's the good news. God calls us to persevere and he gives us perseverance. Romans 15, 5 says he is the God of endurance and encouragement. And sometimes the wisest thing we can do, the best thing we can do, the most helpful thing we can do is just take the next step. Put your foot in front of the other. Put the other foot in front of that one. Put the other foot in front of that one. That's how I lived my life for about three years. I got up in the morning and my first thought was, your life is completely hopeless. And then I thought, okay. All right, so what can I do? What's the next thing I'm doing? I'm getting out of bed. Okay, I can get out of bed. I think, yeah, I can, I can, I can get out of bed. Okay, what, then what after that? Okay, go to the bathroom, get a shower. Okay, brush my teeth, I can, okay, I can do all that. All right, what's next? Get dressed, okay, I can get dressed. All right, yeah, I can get dressed. All right, then what after that? And so that's, that's how I'd spend the first 10 minutes in bed. Just thinking through and, and assured that I could finally make it to a certain point, then I'd get up, knowing that I could do other. What was I doing? I, I was just, persevering. I was choosing to persevere. Another choice the psalmist makes, a choice to trust. And here, verse 3, Psalm 43, we come to the high point of the psalm where he is choosing to trust God. He says, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Send out your light and your truth Because our light and our truth says the problem, it says that we know what reality is. When I'm believing in my own light and my own truth, I'm thinking that I can see everything clearly and I know what should be done. The reality is that's not true. Only God knows what reality is and what needs to be done. And this is one of the paradoxes of depression. This is one of the paradoxes of panic, of unbelief. Of any, of any kind of emotional turmoil like that. While we claim to feel hopeless, we put 
ultimate and absolute confidence in our own perspective. While we claim to feel hopeless, we're actually very confident of what we think. Our hope is in our own light and in our own truth. We're convinced God has forgotten. This is how people leave the faith. We're convinced that God cannot help us, that God doesn't see us, that God isn't aware of what we're going through, that God doesn't seem to care that we are lost, that no one has been through what we're experiencing and that nothing can help. And I've seen that look on people's faces when I've counseled them. I'm reading scripture. I'm sharing an experience. I'm encouraging them to pray. And it's just this look. And sometimes it's more than a look. Sometimes it's actual words. I know that. I know that. I've read that. I've thought that. I've done that. Nothing you can say will ever, ever, ever help me. That's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you're telling the people around you that nothing you can say will help me. That's probably true. But look what the psalmist is doing that's so different. Send out. Send out to me, God, your light and your truth, your light, your truth. The problem is we're not. The problem is we're listening to ourselves and not talking to ourselves. More than that, we're not listening to God. We're doing a great job listening to ourselves. Not listening to God. In addressing this issue of self-confidence, I love what John Piper says. He says, doubt your despairing thoughts. Whence this great confidence you have in your damnation? I'm sure it's going to work out for the worst. I'm sure. I'm absolutely sure. A little skepticism is in order here. Who do you think you are making final declarations about your soul that lie hidden in the secrets of the Almighty? No. No. Renounce such confidence. If you have no ability for faith in the love of God for you, make no more such great pretenses to have such certainty of faith in your damnation. This is not yours to know. Rather, yours is to listen to Jesus. So the question for all of us this morning is, are we listening to Jesus or ourselves? Are we dependent on his light and his truth or ours? This is where it gets really sticky. Because when you're going through emotional turmoil or depression, you feel very helpless. You, you, you feel as though there are no answers. But in the middle of my depression, what I found out was that I was not only depressed, I was self-sufficient. I trusted myself more than God. I wanted to be God. I wanted everything to go my way, and when it didn't, I crashed. I wanted everyone to worship me, and when they didn't, I got depressed. And God let me experience, to a significant degree, what life was like apart from His grace. Trying to be God. I thought depression was coming on me from out there. Not realizing that I was the one producing it. Through my own fears. Through my own cravings. Through my own idolatries and unbelief. I thought I'd been living a life of faith. I mean, I'd been a Christian for 30, 20 years. 25 years. I thought I'd been living a life of faith. And indeed, I had been living a life of faith. It was faith in myself. 
faith in my perspectives, faith in my desires, not faith in God. I felt like I had no hope. And that was true apart from Jesus. But in Jesus, I had every hope. Which leads us to the the final choice of, of this stage the psalmist makes. And that's the choice to find joy in God alone. So we close out the psalm. The focus is all on God. Verse 4. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with a lyre, O God, my God. It's interesting, God's mentioned four times in that verse. It's all about God. He realizes in his fight for joy, God himself is his only hope. At this point, we don't want to mistake the means of grace for the source of grace. William Cooper, at one point when he was battling depression, went to a seaside and just enjoyed a wonderful morning by the sea. And later, which really helped him. And later on in his life, he would try to go to the sea to relieve his depression. Well, a change of scenery might be a step towards relief, but it's not the ultimate answer in our fight for joy. Lasting hope comes through repenting of our self-sufficiency and self-trust and finding God to be our exceeding joy. Because the goal of the battle against emotional turmoil isn't simply emotional peace. Although that may seem like a very precious end when you're in the midst of it. The goal is to know Christ. We want a change in our circumstances. God wants a change in our hearts. We want relief from the pain. God has a better goal. He wants to make us like His Son. Removing trials is not the only way God shows that He is faithful and loving and good. I'll never forget the night I prayed during this season to God. God, if I have to stay like this for the rest of my life, but it means I'll know you better, then leave me like this. The hardest prayer I've ever prayed. But we all have been given grace to pray that prayer because it is, it's eternal life. Eternal life is this, knowing the only true God in Jesus Christ, the one he has sent. And I've known people who didn't gain relief in this life. But through trusting in God, they've gained relief in the next life. And it's an eternal relief. So last point. The psalmist said, send out your light and your truth. Knowing that he worshipped the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, look where we are. We know Jesus And what did Jesus call himself? He said, I am the light of the world. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We don't have to do this in some kind of vague, mystical way. God, send out your light and your truth. I hope to find it somewhere. We can look at Jesus. Because Jesus is God's light and God's truth. Come down from glory, as we sang earlier. Came down as the perfect man. To suffer in our place. To endure God's wrath against our sin in our place on the cross. To take the punishment we deserve. To rise from the dead. To ascend to His Father's right hand where He now intercedes for us. Making sure that we will reach the end for which God saved us. And that is eternal pleasures at His right hand. This is the psalmist's word to us. Hope in God. 
Don't give up your hope in God. It is our only answer. More specifically, hope in Jesus Christ. Because we have been saved to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says. We're not to hope in our circumstances. Not to hope in the counsel we receive. Not to hope in our feelings. That maybe they'll change. Not to hope in our intelligence, our rational, our reasoning that we'll somehow figure it all out. Not ultimately to hope in doctors and science. Not to hope in our past experiences or the experiences of others. Not to hope in our promises or our discipline. But to hope in Jesus Christ. Because ultimately, hopelessness means we're unwilling to wait. That we want something more than Jesus. And let me tell you this. There is nothing greater than knowing Jesus Christ. There is nothing more than Jesus. Nothing better than Jesus. So why do we think that not having something apart from Jesus is worse than not having Jesus? Hope is believing that God will keep His promises. And that even now He is working them out. And our fight for joy is never just about us. It's never just about us. It, was, it wasn't about the psalmist, you know. We are benefiting from his words, his personal struggles, and how he worked through them 2,000 years later, 3,000 years later. Look at William Cooper, his battle, and how he tr- sought to find hope and trust in God in the midst of his struggle. We're benefiting from his, his hymns. You're benefiting from what I went through, my testimony. 15 years ago, I'm sharing how God met me. And how I learned that in my fight for joy, God Himself is my only hope. Think about what God might use your life to do. How He might use your testimony in the lives of others. As you find your hope in Him alone. That's what God's after. That's what He wants to do by His grace and for His glory. And I believe that He's doing that even this morning. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that in your mercy, you have given us words that reveal your heart for us, that reveal your truth, that reveal, well, they reveal our own lives. And they, re- they reveal how desperate we are for you, how we have no hope apart from you. God, I pray for every individual this morning who is in the midst of depression or emotional turmoil, that you would through these psalms, cause them to set their hope on you. To choose to persevere, to choose to trust, to choose to find joy in you alone. Because there's hope, there isn't any hope anywhere else. It's nowhere else. Not in how much we own and what we do and where we go, where we live. It's only in you. And may we grow increasingly grateful for the fact that our Hope is found only in you. In the finished work of Jesus Christ for us, which assure us us that our sins are paid for, that we are no longer under your judgment. Instead, we are chosen, adopted, precious children and will spend eternity enjoying pleasures at your right hand. So we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to close singing this song, In Christ Alone My Hope Is Found. It would be a perfect response, so let's stand together. In Christ.
Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. His cornerstone, his song. Oh, he's immovable. Turn to the fiercest rock. He's the rock. Heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are still, when striving. In all, here in the midst, I stand. Sing about his history. In Christ alone, He took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless days. Gift. Yes. As Jesus does. This is what's happened. All of it was satisfied for every sin. Every sin. All your sins. Of Christ I live. Yes, it's true. We live in His death. We live in His life. There in the ground. There in the ground. His body lay. Light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth. Yes, glorious day up from the grave he rose. He's risen, and as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. I am his. Yes, you are. The precious blood of Christ. Whipped off by your blood, cured by your blood. No guilt, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath. One name. Jesus commands my destiny. Power of hell, no love man could ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Yes, you are a rock. Thank you, Bob, for pointing us to the Scripture, opening up our eyes from the text to see the Savior afresh, and opening up your life as an example and as a testimony of God's faithfulness. And I don't know about you, but when I hear a word like that from the Scripture, and when I see it worked out in someone else's experience as well as an added extra, it's not necessary, Scripture alone is sufficient, but how kind of God to give us living examples of how He works it stirs our faith to want to experience God and meet Him where we are. One of the things Bob mentioned is sometimes we need someone to come alongside us. God will use someone. Um, Cooper had his uh, Newton, um, and uh, Bob.
mob head is Gary, and God's provided someone for you, for you too. That's what the body of Christ, the church, is for. We're in a series on community, and this is what we're talking about, that this is what the body of Christ is for, that we lose perspective, don't we? It's easy to lose perspective. God's Word gives us perspective of truth, and sometimes God will use others to help us gain perspective. And one of the ways that happens is not by big counseling sessions, though that has its place, but by just receiving prayer, by having someone say, what are you going through? And uh, let me just pray that God will open your eyes to his truth, that God will encourage you, that God will speak to you, that you might listen to Christ and not yourself. And, uh, and we want to close with an opportunity for you just to receive prayer. I'm going to ask the small group leaders and their wives, if you guys would uh, come forward, just be available down here as we dismiss, just to pray. And, uh, you know, it may not be a three-year ordeal for you. We're not just praying for people who are having, experiencing a decade of depression, uh, but we're praying for folks who maybe you're just in a brief season that's perplexing, confusing, disillusioning discouraging. Maybe you're experiencing fear about your future, your job, your family, anxiety, and all the things he talked about. Uh, maybe that's where you are. Maybe it's brief. Maybe it's extended. But let's just pray for you and ask God to meet you, meet you where you are. And uh, that's what Bob said. God meets us in our life where we are. And let's pray that he would do that. So we're going to dismiss. We'll have some other people up here praying as well. And we'll be available just to pray for you. And to ask God to touch you and meet you. And I believe he will because he's gracious. And for those of you who are here uh, and you thought, wow, that, what a coincidence. <laughs> In quotation marks, as Bob said, that's what I'm experiencing. That's the kindness of God. I hope you see that is a personal, tangible demonstration. It's God saying to you, I haven't forgotten. I'm right here. So you come receive prayer as we go. The rest of us, we are going to dismiss you to go in the grace of God to experience uh, the God who sustains us through all seasons and is near us to the very end. Go in the grace of God, experiencing his, his grace this week. If you'd like prayer, please please come forward. We'll be around here for a while. God bless you. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org.